Hello, everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host. And with me is my co host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hey, everyone. Today, we will be discussing season four, episode 10, The Chair Model. In this episode, people have to walk, Michael is looking for love, and the five families come together. This episode's cold open introduces us to an issue that will come up later on in this episode. Someone else in the office building is doing some renovations, and so the construction workers working on that project are parking in the parking lot that normally is reserved for the Dunder Mifflin employees. And this is met with a lot of resistance from most people. Jim and Pam are okay with it because they get to walk together now. Oh, how cute. (laughs) But everybody else is pretty upset with the seemingly long walk that they have to take from the satellite parking lot that they are using. Apparently it's about half a mile, according to some. This raises a lot of questions for me, but it also kind of highlights something that is very prominent in pretty much any working environment, and that's when something relatively small and pointless changes, everyone is up in arms about it. No one likes that at all. Right. And yeah, half a mile is pretty long and it probably is not half a mile. That's that's a pretty decent distance. That's like probably like four city blocks maybe. Yeah. And so having to walk just a little bit further than you generally would, especially in the circumstances of this is temporary. I know why this is happening. These like these construction trucks didn't just come in and be like, yep, we're parking here now. Get over it. Like somebody else is doing work on their office to have these people have the to have the employees of Dunder Mifflin be this upset is kind of silly. Oscar and Andy are seen complaining as they're walking, but the person that is just the most upset by the whole thing is Kevin, and he says he's sitting on the ground rubbing his feet because he might, you know, it may not be comfortable to walk in your business shoes that for that distance, and he says that he will quit. If this isn't fixed, he will quit. This is one of my favorite small clips of the entire show. Because it's just funny how Kevin says it and how upset he is. But it also raises a question to me that there are maybe like three parking spaces that are taken up by these trucks. Yeah. So clearly there weren't enough parking spaces in the first place. Another thing that keeps coming up in my mind is in all the times that we see the parking lot or see the office building, we rarely ever see any other cars, any other people, any other employees of the five families uh, as they're known in the office park. So it's sort of, it's one of those things that we talked about where it's a probably a storyline that just got brought up or like, oh, here's something we can do as a B plot. 
and the continuity of it within the scope of the show. Again, we've said it before, it's a comedy, so things like this will come up as a B-plot and then just sort of fall away. When we get into the main body of the show, we learn something almost immediately that comes as fallout from the dinner party, and that is that Michael and Jan have broken up. At the end of last episode, it was really kind of on the fence as to what would happen in their relationship. And really, I wouldn't even say it was on the fence as much as it was just unaddressed. Yes, because last we saw, Michael was asleep in Dwight's car and he was going to stay over at Dwight's farm for that evening. And Jan was in their living room of Michael's condo fixing the broken Dundee. So I guess we have to assume that they're broken up and so Jan has moved out of the condo, but we don't know where she has gone. Right. And just to add on to last episode and just something kind of that we alluded to in the previous podcast is that that just kind of seemed like the cycle that Jan and Michael go through because we had kind of seen that played out in previous episodes where they get into it and then things come to a head, and then there is a minor resolution. Things don't really get fixed. Like, they don't address the issues, but they come together amicably. And so you kind of see that with last episode where we see Jan sitting in the living room fixing Michael's dundies. And so it's kind of like the, well, this this is the end of the cycle to where we get to the beginning of the next cycle. Except... We know, having seen the show before, like, we don't see Melora Hardin, but for a couple of times that she pops up from here on out. Um, So this really is the end for Michael and Jan. And Michael states that he is ready to move on. And this is spurred in just the oddest of ways. I don't love this episode. To me, it's... uh, it, it doesn't really have good flow, and like Curtis said, it's sparked by such an odd thing. There's a lot of callback to Bad Michael, and Bad Michael shows up again in this episode. Yes. Michael needs a new chair, so Pam has given him the office supply catalog, and she's trying to encourage him to just decide on a chair because she gets his old one. However, Michael is extremely distracted And cannot just choose a chair because he's distracted by this woman he sees modeling the chair, if you will, quote unquote. She's just sitting in the chair that I think Pam maybe has tagged for him. And he just finds her so intriguing. And that's how he knows he's ready to move on. And so Michael goes out into the office at large and announces to everyone, hey, I'm ready to date. So please feel free to set me up with whatever single lady friends that you have. And he kind of pops around to different people in the office and just kind of checking in with them and saying, hey, do you have anybody you could set me up with? He talks to Oscar and he talks to Kevin. Unfortunately, neither of those are proved to be fruitful. In this moment, we also learn that Kevin has broken up with his fiance, which is always a weird thing that they do. They really just like, it's kind of like, oh yeah, Kevin's in a relationship. And they'll bring it up absolutely randomly throughout throughout the episodes. 
And then this time, it's just like, oh, yeah, Kevin broke up with his girlfriend. Yeah, this is a really weird aside. That's a good point. From what we knew, so back in season two, Kevin brought his fiance Stacy, brought Stacy's daughter for Take Your Daughter to Work Day. And we knew they were engaged at that point, but there's no, I don't even think there was an, a check-in or any sort of alluding to that in season three. And now 10 episodes into season four, they broke up. And I don't know if it's just because they didn't want him to do another wedding. Why Kevin sort of getting short shrift here. Right. And so neither Oscar nor Kevin have anyone to set up Michael with. And so Michael is getting frustrated and he takes it out on the entire office. He says that I help you guys all the time. I am a really nice guy. I'm a catch. And now you guys are refusing to help me find the love of my life. And so he tasks Dwight. And so he takes this kind of to the next step and tasks Dwight with handing out index cards and everybody has to write down three names of people whom they could set Michael up with. And Phyllis tries her hand, you know, Michael's kind of going around with his sob story and Phyllis says, you know what, Michael, I have a friend who's single. She's beautiful and she has a really feisty personality. And Michael, feisty doesn't seem to fit with what he's looking for. He has these certain buzzwords and he also doesn't have a very strong viewpoint of himself. Absolutely. And he really thinks he's entitled to someone that's like 10 or 20 years younger than him. You know, tall, blonde, gorgeous. Not that someone like that couldn't be attracted to Michael, but for him, it's that or bust. As Phyllis is describing her friend, she says that her friend is a pro softball player. And that really worries Michael, and he really gives in to a lot of terrible stereotypes about women softball players. And he keeps asking, was she catcher infield? Could, could she fit into a rowboat? Would a normal-sized rowboat support her? Which is just, just awful. They're playing a sport, and everyone's entitled to play whatever sport in whatever way they want to. Anyways... Phyllis doesn't answer at first, and then Michael really gets worried that she's not responding, and then Phyllis says, no, no, she couldn't. Dwight reports back to Michael with everyone's index cards and offers to really kind of take this to the next level. Dwight says that Michael should not settle. He has his eye on a specific prize and he should go for it. And so Dwight is determined to find the actual chair model that was in the office supply catalog. And this just shows how Michael and Dwight can be really out of touch and crazy with reality. And Michael does this. He builds these narratives And he's never even met this woman. He doesn't know a thing about her. He just saw her in the office supply catalog. Dwight does some research, does a little bit of digging. He calls the supply company. The supply company refers him to the advertising agency who refers him to the photographer, who refers him to a local modeling agency. 
and it turns out that this young woman has died. Triumphantly, Dwight's like, hey, you don't even have to worry about it anymore. Like, you can find somebody else now. And Michael is just over the top upset about this. And Michael is in mourning, I guess you could say, over this person that he saw in a catalog. And Pam steps in and says, you know what? I know somebody. She's very nice. She's pretty. I think you guys would get along. It's my landlady. So Pam arranges for them to have coffee that afternoon. And Michael heads to the coffee shop. And this is where bad Michael really, really comes out. Agree, yeah. He, Michael is wearing a rose in his lapel because that's what you do when you're going on a blind date for some, that's how the other person knows it's you, I guess. I guess yeah. And he says that we are looking for a brunette with long straight hair and wearing jeans and a black top. And Michael goes, oh, this must be her here. <laughs> and it is this very traditionally beautiful blonde woman, tall, wearing a skirt and Michael's like, oh, I give her a 10 for looks, but a three for describing herself. And so he's tricked himself into thinking, oh, yep, this is the person. Yeah. And he says, hello. And she just walks right past him. And then Michael's actual date walks in right at that moment and asks, are you Michael? And it is, of course, Pam's landlady. And she is homely, we can say, I guess. She just is more, she's just a little bit more plain. Sure. But she's still attractive. She has really pretty eyes. It's just that she wasn't like gussied up. Right. And Michael immediately goes, oh God. And tries to play it off that, nope, I am not Michael. And it almost works. Except his hot chocolate order comes out right at that time. And the barista says, Michael? And so the jig is up for Michael. Which is a really awful way to start out a coffee date. And honestly, like, it's amazing that this woman on such short notice, like, agreed to be set up, which means she's also looking for somebody. And Michael is just terrible on this date. He pretends not to know how the job of a landlord would function like oh you so you collect the checks what would you do with them after that which is just dumb he complains about how hard it is to meet people how you know why is it so hard for someone like him out there and so she's just kind of supposed to be sympathetic towards him but he's not being reciprocal or just having any awareness of the situation at all he shows her a picture of jan and then when she decides I've had enough. It nicely says she's going to head out. He says, this was nice, like talking to a sweet old lady on a bus. And she's rightfully offended by that. She had come thinking that she was really going to have a date where someone was going to ask her about her. She was going to ask about that person. And that's not at all what happened. And this encounter perfectly summarizes Michael in this entire episode because Michael has complained this entire time about how he's looking for somebody nice and smart and fun to talk to and somebody that can just hang out and cuddle and anybody that anyone in this episode has suggested 
could be that person, but Michael is so vain and thinks so highly of himself for some reason or another that he can't get past the outer appearances of people. He's not willing to give anyone a chance if they don't look like Jan or the blonde lady that was getting coffee before him. That's a really good point. And I know there are two sides to this fact. Like you can't manufacture chemistry if it's not there, but you also have to be open to, if you're looking to date, you have to be open to the possibility of what's out there. And I know that's hard with just dating apps and things like that. Like you, it's just too many options sometimes on a dating app, for instance. That and everyone is putting out the best versions of themselves on their profile. They are, the pictures are curated because they get to choose them. They get to choose which pictures they look best in and things like that. And so, yes, once you get past that initial interaction and then you finally do meet in person or start having like full drawn out conversations, things could change very quickly. Right. In the end, Michael really doesn't get set up with anybody, mostly due to his own pickiness and vainness, as Curtis said. And Dwight decides that Michael just needs some closure, that he felt this connection with the the chair model, whose name was Deborah. So Dwight takes him out, and this is a really weird scene to me. Dwight takes him to a cemetery, to Deborah's grave, for a bit of closure and then they end up singing at first a parody of American Pie by Don McLean like the longest song in the world Nightfall comes and then there's like scream singing the actual lyrics at each other and then the episode ends it's kind of weird and bizarre I don't love this scene at all. It doesn't make a ton of sense. It kind of seems in poor taste to go to someone's burial site and do that. Yeah, sure. I think think the ridiculousness of it offsets that a little bit just because, like we said, Michael had no idea who this lady was. Right. And yet he needs to go to her grave to get closure for the relationship that they never had. And the only reason that they picked American Pie, I'm sure, is because it starts off with bye-bye. And in the lyric, it says, this will be the day that I die. Like, that's probably the only reason they picked that. We'll talk about it in the annex, but that was not the first choice of song here. Okay, okay. Funny story about American Pie. Okay. As you point out, it is a very long song. And it is very funny in that when they start the song, it's like dusk. Yeah. And then when they end the song, it is dark. And they don't fully know the lyrics. Right. (laughs) So I was out with some friends once, and we were at a bar back when you could go to bars and there was just a guy, you know, with a guitar playing songs. Wasn't very crowded because it, it was like a Thursday night or something. We were out for somebody's birthday. And the person 
whose birthday it was, the the guitar player guy was like, hey, you know, it's your birthday. What song do you want to hear? And my friend goes, American Pie. And the guy's like, that's like a 10-minute song. <laughs> and she goes, yeah. And so the guy played the song. Like, it was just the his his apprehension to playing the song because of how long of a song that is is very justified and yeah. we see that here in eighth grade we every, once a month we'd have like poetry reading and so you're supposed to pick a poem memorize it and deliver it to the class in the end people just ended up picking songs quite frankly like no one actually found a written poem uh-huh. several of my classmates did american pie and were had the intention of doing the whole thing but the teacher cut them off at a certain point understandably were all of these performances done the same day yes that was like the that was the hour of the class oh, okay. these. i thought it was i thought it was going to be a thing that we have seen with small children where some, we were in where, eighth grade okay still <laughs> where you ask somebody a question about whatever and they say an answer and then you ask somebody else the same and and then you're like okay yeah good and then you ask somebody the same question and they say that same answer because of the positive feedback the previous person got yes yeah 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 so embarrassingly I once tried to do Picture by Sheryl Crow and Kid Rock as my poem, <laughs> and I got in trouble for, like, the adult themes or whatever. And then I'm just like, oh, my God. Looking back now, I'm like, I could have learned so much more about poetry or, you know, good poems, and I chose garbage songs like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so Michael returns to the office and kind of chides Pam for setting him up with a woman who he didn't think was a drop-dead gorgeous perfect 10. And Jim comes over and just kind of jokes around with Pam saying, well, you pretty much sealed your fate on the apartment that you're staying in. You're going to get kicked out of that now. And Jim kind of is still ribbing her and saying, you're messy and you're a klutz. You know, nobody's going to take you in. And Pam's like, I'm just going to move in with my boyfriend because he's messy too. Jim, being pretty serious, is like, okay. And that takes Pam aback because she thinks they're still joking. And she kind of gets quiet and she's like, well, I don't want to move in with someone until I'm engaged. Jim's response is, I haven't proposed yet. Well, it's coming. It's going to knock your socks off. And Pam is still seeming dubious about this. And she's like, okay, I guess I'll be ready. I've been warned. Cut to a one-on-one with Jim. He's had a ring since one week after they started dating. Pam does a thing that you did to me (laughs) when we had been dating where she's prodding Jim as to, like, when he's going to propose and how he's going to propose. And Jim's like, no, that's not how it works. You did the same thing to me. You asked me several times. That's not true. When I was going to propose. You asked me on trips that we were going to take, are you going to propose on this trip? I did not do not, that. You're not, being a liar. Not in the, not in the. hey, come on, what are you doing? Are you going to propose on this trip or what? 
more in a you just wanted to know because you like asking questions that you will eventually learn the the answer to if you just were patient. You're so mean to me. <laughs> so yes, Jim is going to propose to Pam. The thing that we all knew was going to happen. I'm trying to put myself in the mindset of a first time viewer and be like, oh, okay, like this is really serious. But it's hard when you've like watched the series, I guess, a couple times. Yeah, I could see that. But like I, I, so I think the natural comparison that always comes up in situations like this is Ross and Rachel, the ultimate like will they, won't they couple. And Except it was annoying because it was 10 seasons. Sure. But I I would say that there was nothing building up to them getting together for the first time that would say, oh, yeah, they're going to end up together. Like they were – Ross was nerdy in high school, was still pretty nerdy. Then Rachel was this – very attractive woman in high school, was the popular girl, and is now, I don't know, doing something. She's a waitress. Yeah. Or I guess it, in, in fashion. No, it, not at that time. And so there wasn't really like this, they're meant to be together or whatever. We see from the very first episodes of The Office that Jim and Pam have a very infatuous relationship. It's just that Pam's engaged at the time and so you knew right away oh they're gonna get together like they they, they don't bring this up if they don't get together right at some point. that's true and at least they're not playing this out sure. over such a long right time. they are jim and pam end up together and stay together for the entire show the last bit of the episode pertains to kevin and andy taking it upon themselves to get the parking spaces back. And they have to do so because Michael is uninterested. He flat out says he doesn't care because he has an assigned parking spot and he's too busy trying to find love. And so Kevin and Andy bring together the five families, which are the four other occupants of the office building that they are in. And that consists of Bob Vance Refrigeration, which we know about. Mm -hmm. Paul Faust of Disaster Kits. W.B. Jones of W.B. Jones Heating and Air. And Bill Cress of Cress, Tool, and Die. And so Kevin and Andy get these four other business owners into a conference room and say to W.B. Jones, we would like our parking spaces back. And the other guys are like, this is seriously what this is about. Just give them their parking spaces back. And W.B. Jones is like, okay. And that's the meeting. Kevin and Andy were extremely nervous for this. Andy had written notes and was going to kind of launch into this really long thing before Kevin jumped in and just said, hey, we have to park far away. Some of us sweat a lot and it's too far. Like, can we please have our parking spaces? After the meeting, Kevin says to the camera that after Stacy left, things were really hard for him. And this was just a really nice victory. And it was just nice to win one. Andy was a little more weird about the victory, you could say. Had some crazy analogy that didn't make sense and it was for the little guy. 
and was dancing as the construction trucks were leaving the parking spaces. And so that pretty much wraps up this episode. So let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. So there is a little bit of foreshadowing in this episode involving Pam's mom and Michael. Mm -hmm. Because Jim wrote down Pam's mom on his index card for Michael. So the final scene in which Michael and Dwight are singing American Pie... The writers, which this was written by B.J. Novak, and I'm realizing, side note, I'm realizing I don't really care for B.J. Novak's episodes. Hmm. Uh, The writers wanted their parody to be of Candle in the Wind, but Elton John wouldn't give his permission because 30 Rock had gotten his permission to use Candle in the Wind. He did not like the parody that they did, and he did not want that to happen again. I wonder if that's also because of the additional meaning that song took on after it was rewritten for Princess Diana. Yeah, like a couple words were changed. For sure, I think for people of our age and, you know, maybe the next generation wouldn't know it was for Marilyn Monroe. So the guy who played Paul Faust of Disaster Kids Limited his name is actually Paul Faust. It's Paul Lieberstein's cousin. And they had done some casting to try to fill this, like, 30-second role. He has, I think, maybe two lines in the scene. And Paul Faust had been on set. And people thought he was really cool. So they called him Cool Guy Paul, which is what Kevin says his nickname is. Couldn't find anybody. They call up Paul Faust in New York City and say... We need you to film yourself saying the lines, email it to us. And within the hour, he was on a plane to L.A. being flown out for the scene. I was like, that is just so much effort for this scene and two lines that could have probably been given to Bob Vance. And then they just got somebody else to sit in as this guy. Unrelated to this episode, Brian Baumgartner, who plays Kevin, now has a podcast that is now the thing to do for Office alum. His podcast is only available through Spotify, and he actually has other actors from The Office on the show. Um, Steve Carell, John Krasinski, Angela Martin, Jenna Fisher um, are the ones that I heard in the preview. And he's going to give... I'm not sure, honestly, how it's different from Jenna Fisher and Angela Kenzie's. I don't think he watches every episode. I think it's more just a look back at like how The Office is now such a phenomenon, what it was like to work on it, like what they've been doing. So sounds intriguing. It's, it's interesting and I think it's awesome. Like these people love this experience so much that they're willing to kind of give the behind the scenes and talk about it. And there's this stigma in Hollywood that you're a has-been if you talk about your work from 20 years ago but for some people like that was really great and that's what they really enjoyed and they're happy to be known for that and they're happy to live off i'm not saying that's all they do but they're happy to have the residual checks from like the reruns yeah curtis who got fired in this episode we only see one firing and that's michael uh when he goes to oscar to ask if oscar has any liberal single lady friends he makes a couple homophobic jokes and he also pretty openly talks about his 
sex life in the office in this episode. So both things, fireable offenses. He essentially shuts down the office productivity to get everyone to get him dates. Yeah. It is Michael's seventh firing this season. It's his 33rd overall. Daryl Watch continues. Daryl, another episode where Daryl is not in the episode at all. So again, can't get fired when you aren't in the episode. True. What is your Dundee? So I have two. The the first is the most mysterious plan, and it goes to Creed. Creed tells the camera that when Michael gives Pam his old chair, Pam is going to give Creed her old chair, at which point he will have two chairs and he only needs one more to go. Does not give any further explanation of what he's going to do with those chairs, but the way he says it, it sounds pretty nefarious. The second Dundee is the best small victory, and that goes to Kevin, who led the way in getting the parking spaces back and gave him a boost of confidence that it seemed like he really needed, and it was just a nice moment of the episode. What about you? My Dundee is the best window into corporate life, and that goes to Paul Faust, (laughs) who, as they are exiting the meeting, goes, this just could have been an email. And that is a very, very common thing to hear in office life of meetings that just could be emails. Right. It's just to give some info. Yeah. Who is your employee of the month? I chose Andy and Kevin, who really wanted this thing to happen, couldn't get any support from Michael, and got it going. They were very nervous, and all it took was a 30-second meeting. What about you? My employee of the month is Margaret for not ending up with Michael and really kind of getting a little parting shot in as she was leaving. As you said, like her and Michael very well could be in the same place of their lives where they're getting older and they just kind of want someone to be with. And so it would be very easy for Margaret to just kind of put up with Michael's insults and things like that and just be like okay well at least it's somebody but she doesn't and she walks out on Michael and she will be better for that I can guarantee you for sure so that does it for this week's episode please follow us on Twitter at downsizing pod to get all the latest updates and be sure to continue listening to us on Spotify Google Podcasts Apple Podcasts wherever you are listening to us Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to get our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye, Miss Chair Model Lady. A tramp that we were married and you treated me nice. We had lots of kids. Drinking whiskey and rye But why'd you have to go off and die? Why'd you have to go off and die? Oh, you believe in rock and roll? Well, music, save your mortal soul!